Hey, Mile City family online, just so glad you're tuning in. And even for all of you that are down in, you know, the southern states, you know, sunny Naples, Florida, not to call anyone out, Jay. Uh, don't worry about us up here in the freezing cold. I mean, every year, I don't know what it is. It's just like it's getting colder to me. I, maybe it's just because I'm getting older. I feel it in my bones. But wherever you're watching, we're so glad that you're tuning in with us. And today we're going to be talking about this tool right here, the magnifying Glass And uh, the magnifying glass, interesting tool that was created in the 1200s by a guy named Roger Bacon, who I got to imagine just loved Bacon because, you know, who wouldn't, especially with your last name, Bacon. Anyways, uh, Roger created this to help with scholars whose eyesight was failing uh, to help them continue their work. Magnifying glass definition we see is it's a lens which can be used to make things appear bigger. And there's a lot of different things in life, right, that we can uh, magnify that's good. And there's things that we can magnify that's not so good. Which reminds me of something that happened to me this past uh, month. Uh, During the Christmas season, I was uh, throwing a party and I needed to get some wings, okay? So I just called the wing place and said, I need 20 of this, 20 of this, and 20 of this. And they say, well, you don't do it that way. I'm like, what do you mean? I just need 60 wings. They said, you need, you can order 12, 24, 36, 48, but you just can't order 20, 20, 20. It's like, okay, fine, not a problem. Give me 48 wings and 12 wings. There we go. He's like, well, how do you want those sauces broken down? I said, I'll take 20 regular, 20 barbecue, and 20 Parmesan. Can't do that, sir. Why can't you do that? He's like, that's just not how we break it down. You have to break it up within the 48 and the 12. So then I go, okay, this seems a little complicated. That doesn't need to be that complicated. But okay, fine. We'll go six on the 12. We'll go six regular and six barbecue. And then on the 48, we'll go 14 regular, 14 barbecue, and 20 Parmesan. Good. Sorry, sir, we can't do it that way. This doesn't work in our computer system that way. So I, this, I don't know what it was, but for some reason, and normally like, I like, like to take it easy on the food people. Like, you know, I hate when I see people like arguing and yelling in stores over their food that it was late or whatever. But for some reason, I'm like starting to get mad inside. I'm like, what is the, like, what's the big deal? This isn't, like, this, so I said, sir, I know they don't pay you enough to probably hear my complaint, but I know your store. All you got to do, I know you said it like messed up your computer system and mess up the cooks. Listen, you got to take two steps back open up the door and say, hey, on this order, just go 20, 20, 20. He's like, no, we can't do that. I said, man, like, are you the manager? He's like, no, but my manager will say the same thing. Can't do it. Sorry. What do you want to do? And I said, all right, fine. I'll take 24 regular, 24 barbecue, and 24 Parmesan and get 12 extra wings that I don't need. And I was like, really frustrated and I don't know why but I got really heated in the moment and I was just like what is wrong with like this is so stupid like just do it how I asked anyways why did I make it such a big deal it really isn't that big deal I was magnifying literally magnifying a wing order for just over 12 wings making it such a big deal I was like cool off and I called Jen she's like cool off it's really not that big of a deal but today we're going to be talking about magnifying things that are a big deal to us. We're not talking about like a little wing order that I'm talking about here. We're talking about the things in our lives that we can magnify, that we shouldn't be magnifying, that are big deals. Like tragedy that we face, uh, struggles that we face, things that are literally aggravating us, loss in our lives, pain in our lives, the struggles in our lives. And so what does it look like for us to minimize 
those things that are truly a big deal instead of magnifying them into something bigger than it should be. And to help us do that, we continue in our series, Joy, as the book of Philippians, as we dive through and dissect the book of Philippians. It's all about, it's not about gray and black and white and shadows. It's about magnifying the colors of joy. The book of Philippians, this little book, four chapters, 104 verses, literally magnifying the colors of joy all the way out. And so, as you're watching, you're watching this for a reason. One, because you're curious about faith in God or you want to move towards God. Uh, that's the goal. And so as we dive into Philippians, right, we're, we're, we're going to help the color of joy come out of our lives. I love how the author and pastor Skip Heitzig says this. Spiritual maturity can be measured by what it takes to steal your joy. Let that sink in for a moment. Spiritual maturity can be measured by what it takes to steal your joy. How quickly, based on your circumstances and struggles, can your joy feel like it's being stolen? And so we all want to grow. We all want to increase our faith. And so we're going to look at this tool and we're going to see how, as we dive through the book of Philippians, how we can get more mature in what we're magnifying in our lives as we continue through the study of the book of Philippians. But before we continue to magnify chapter one, I just wanna pray for you and pray for me. Father, thanks for just getting us all here uh, online to, to listen wherever we're watching or wherever we're driving. God, I just ask that you would help us to see what you need us to see, magnify what you need us to, to, to just get right into the forefront of our minds, to shift us, to change us, to mature us in our faith. And I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So wherever you're watching, I want you to open up to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be kicking off in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Remember, Philippians is one of 13 letters written by Paul. And so uh, if you missed last week, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to the introductory week because I did a lot of context, background, setup to the reason why Paul wrote this letter in the first place. And remember, as we're looking through this letter, as we're thinking about this letter, we have to remember that Paul was writing while he was chained up in prison. So picture him in the jail. Picture him with the shackles giving scabs on his arms that he's literally chained in jail for a long period of time. And this is the letter that he's writing to the Philippian church. And so here it goes, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me well, what's happened to Paul? What are the happenings in Paul's life? What are the circumstances that Paul was facing? Let me just catch you up on that. So we have to remember, right, he is in prison. How did he get in prison? So he was on his third missionary journey. And while he was on his third missionary journey in Jerusalem by the temple, a riot started to break out uh, with different leaders who were trying to, to push Paul down, to try to get Paul to shut up. So much so that a Roman guard arrested him, not to beat him, but to protect him. But then things started to turn against Paul, and Paul was about to be beaten. And then Paul yelled out his Roman citizen card. So because he pulled out his Roman citizen card, they took him away away from there and took him from, Jeru from Jerusalem to Caesarea where he spent two years in jail. And while he was there for two years in the Caesarean jail, he went on three different trials to help figure out to get him out of jail. He was literally stuck 
frustrated in the system. And so he finally was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't go through another trial anymore. I know they're just probably playing the game with me. I got to get out of here. And so he did what every Roman citizen had the right to do. He appealed to Caesar. And when you appeal to Caesar, you have to go before Caesar. And so then they took him out of that jail, put him on a ship, not a Disney cruise ship, but a prisoner ship. And then that ship was shipwrecked. And as he's like trying to survive the shipwreck, he survives the shipwreck and then is put into a Roman jail where he is all chained up. I mean, that's like a 30,000 foot view of the circumstances that Paul was facing that, that was being magnified in his life, that you would imagine would really be killing his joy as he's magnifying the struggle and the circumstances in his life. And maybe if that's you, when you think about your life, you feel chained up like no other. You feel like you are in prison like no other. Maybe it's a job's got you chained up. Maybe it's a relationship that's got you chained up and it's magnified in your life. It's an addiction that's chained up. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's not what you signed up for. It's not what you wanted in your cards. Maybe you're a Jesus follower and you thought when you followed Jesus that his, that your plan would actually match his plan, but it's not matching what you wanted. And you're just kind of like really frustrated right now. And it's really magnifying. But then Paul, what does Paul say? Paul then says this. He says this. He says this. He says, what's happened to me, he says, has really served to advance the gospel. It's like, okay, wait, what? Like, what? All of this stuff that has happened to me. I mean, he could have been magnifying the groanings and the grumbling and the loneliness. But no, he says, all of this has actually really served to advance the gospel. Remember the gospel, what is it? The gospel is the good saving news of Jesus, that he saves us from the penalty of our sin because of his death and resurrection. He says, because of all of this junk, because of all the chains that I've been facing right now, it's actually being used to serve, to advance the gospel. Over 16 times in this letter, Paul has the audacity to use the word joy even in the midst of his circumstances. It's like you're kind of, if you're struggling with something today, when you think about your hindrances, it's like, okay, wow, like that my hindrances are really using to further the gospel. I mean, come on, Paul, please explain more. Help us to understand why you could paint such a color of joy instead of just a shadow on everything that's going on. Because if you're honest, you just kind of want to have a shadow. And, and it's like it's hard for you to have a color of joy based on your circumstance. So, Paul, please explain more. So he does. He explains why he's talking like this. It says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What is he doing here? Paul begins to explain his personal prison ministry that has been developed over the past couple years in this Roman jail. Now, this isn't like a prison ministry that we think of today where you go in for a day and you leave, you go back the next week, you go back. No, no, no. He's literally taking residence in a jail, a rented home where he's on house arrest in chains, chained to imperial guards. Now, notice it says imperial guards. These weren't just any kind of guards. These were elite guards that were uh, um, in, the, in the Roman government. These are highly influential people that are around people that are untouchable, that you can't get to. This would be like our CIA or secret service that are protecting the elites of the Roman government, of the Roman Empire. 
And you think about the teachings of Jesus and you think about the newness of it and you think about praying for, for it to infect the culture. Man, the prayers that must have been going on. Man, how could we get Jesus into the ears? If we could just get the ear of some of the Roman officials that are in high power and high command, like what would change in our culture? What would change for the glory of God, for, for the name of Jesus, if they could just hear it? Man, if only we could get their attention. Well, Paul had the attention of the imperial guards because he was chained to them for 24 hours a day. Four different guards, or yeah, four different guards for six hour shifts. And every time that one guard was chained to Paul, guess what Paul was talking about? You guessed it, the gospel. That's all Paul talked about. That was his passion. He, he lived it. He breathed it. He, it was always the gospel. 74 different times throughout the letters of Paul in the New Testament, he talks about the gospel. He wouldn't shut up about the gospel. It was just, it was just in his blood. It was his passion. It's what fueled his thinking. It, it was just always on his mind. And so out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you think of the impact that was taking place as every time a guard would shift, it wouldn't just be a shift change for work. God was shifting and changing their hearts one guard at a time. And we know that guards were getting saved left and right. And how do we know this? And man, this was so incredible. That's why I love reading commentaries and, and listening to scholars who are way smarter than me. But one pointed out that at the end of the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, it says, as he ends the letter, and all the saints greet you. Check this out especially those in Caesar's household. And I imagine he wanted to almost say, wink, wink, it's working. It's working. It was affecting the household of Caesar of the Roman Empire. But it wasn't just the imperial guards that it was affecting. What does it say here? All the rest of the people. Because what we know is that even though he was locked up in chains, tied to guards, even though he couldn't eat or pee without being chained to someone, we're told that he also, because he was on house arrest, had specific freedoms. We're told in the book of Acts how he had visitors come from Jewish leaders would come, Roman citizens would come, other believers would come to see him and be curious to what Paul would say. And so what do we see Paul doing in the midst of his not good circumstance, in the midst when he was feeling stuck, even though he, he felt stuck, he used him, he used the stuckness, if that's a word, he, he used the circumstance to literally magnify God. His secret was looking at his stuck circumstance through the power of the gospel. He was using the gospel to fuel and fire and bring out the joy that we see all laced throughout this, this letter. It reminds me as a kid. You ever use a magnifying glass as a kid? where you'd take the power of the sun and then it would just zoom in and then you just put it on a leaf and it would light it on fire. Have we got any ant killers, fellow ant killers out there where you just you know, zone, like, like zone in right on an ant, you'd light them on fire. Forgive me, but yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So that same concept, what we see Paul doing, instead of taking the rough, cold, dark circumstances, he was using the power of the gospel to magnify the circumstance, to literally light it on fire. Are you magnifying, put this up, are you magnifying your obstacle through the power of the gospel? 
Ask yourself, when you think about the obstacles in your life right now, are, are you allowing it to stay gray, to stay dark, or are you allowing the power of the gospel to magnify the fire of God on that obstacle? Maybe you feel shackled at your desk. You feel like you're in chains at work. How might you magnify that obstacle with the gospel? You're the only one maybe that has the power of the gospel inside of you in those cubicles or how you manage. You may be around people that are considered untouchable, that no one else can get to but you. How are you magnifying the obstacle of your job for the gospel? Maybe it's you as a stay-at-home parent. And, and, and you feel chained to it. You feel the dishes and the, and, the, and, the, and the cleaning and the laundry and the kids and the wiping the butts. And you're just like, goodness gracious. And you just feel just like so beat down as a parent. It reminds me of a great quote by Andy Stanley. who's quoted for saying, Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Let me say that again. Your greatest contribution, remember, to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but something you raise. How are you magnifying that obstacle through the power of the gospel? Maybe you feel shackled by your boredom of, of, of having too much time because of retirement or because you're a widow or because you're single and you feel lonely and you feel like you have no purpose. How are you magnifying that obstacle through your giftings and your time and your mind and all that you've learned in your life through the power and the lens of the gospel. We see Paul model this for us and the importance of it. Then he continues, then he goes on, he says this. Some indeed, they preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, they do it out of love. It's like, praise God for those people, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me and my imprisonment. And sadly, we have to remember the context in which he's writing. He's writing to the Philippian church. He's writing to believers. And as we all know, the church can be so messy. And why is the church so messy? You want to know why? It's because of you. It's because of you who are listening and because of me who is speaking. Because we're messy. We're messy people. And the enemy, most of the time, wants to create more division, more chaos within his church. He wants to make things way more of a big deal than they ever should be a big deal. He, he literally, the Satan loves to magnify and amplify the most ridiculous arguments within the church. And why is it? Because he wants to keep the church bickering over the small little things so that we will miss out on the big things that God wants to do through us. Let me say that again. The enemy wants the church to bicker over small things so that they will miss out, that we will miss out on the big things that God wants to do through us. It's as simple as that. And jealousy and competition, it's a really sneaky, interesting thing that the enemy uses all the time. And all you leaders that are listening, you're all targets. I'm a target. Paul was a massive target. I mean, think of Paul. I mean, Paul was so gifted. He was so successful. He was a great target to try to knock down, to try to bring down. And this is interesting. We can't prove this, but many scholars are in agreement. I mean, check out the irony of this. Here you have Paul, who used to drag Christians out to put them into prison. Then he got shifted and changed. Now, 
He is put in prison because of his faith in Jesus. And then you have the church, Christians, that are amplifying and magnifying his case to Caesar Nero to have him beheaded, and it actually goes through. Think of the irony of, 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 of the church, just the, the, the conflict and the tension because of the jealousy and the envy and all the affliction that happens. You got any, we, have any, uh, we got any Batman fans in the house? My name's Batman. I'm here to protect. I'm here to take out evil. I'm here to uplift you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to keep you safe. I got your back, Batman. I don't know why. Batman always talks like this, but he just does. So I thought I'd try to talk like Batman. But hey, do any of you out there have any jokers in your life? I know this is ridiculous. But seriously, do any of you have any jokers in your life? Because this is what I think Paul, when I think about this verse, this is what Paul's talking about. He's elevating the jokers in our lives. We all, if we're honest, we have people in our lives that are good, that are uplifting, that want to, like, that have our backs, but then we can't escape it. We all got a bunch of stinking jokers in our lives that like, are constantly trying to annoy us, to get under our skin, to afflict us. And a lot of times it's based off of jealousy. And jealousy is a weird thing. I, I, I'll never forget my dad telling me this when I went into ministry. He said, hey, when, just, just to warn you, you and Jen, as you go into ministry, People will be jealous of you and will envy you. And it's weird because you can't really call it out because it seems like you're prideful. But they'll use that and then do things to afflict you. And I'll never forget, and I don't know who said it. There's so many people that have said it, and so I can't like, claim this quote or no one. You know. But those that idolize you will be the ones that will quickly demonize you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've experienced that. I've experienced that. My wife, Jen, that's not, we've, all, we've experienced this. And then what happens is, is for whatever reason, if you're like me, instead of magnifying those that have your back in your life, the people that are jokers literally are the ones that are literally completely start to be consuming you and magnify your mind and your time and you can't stop thinking about it. And it's so annoying. So what does Paul do? What does Paul do? I love this. I love what Paul does. What does Paul say about this? Paul models. He says this. What then? I mean... What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and that I rejoice. As long as Christ is being proclaimed, that brings me joy. This what then, a.k.a. in English, is so what? We're always going to have jokers. They're always going to be out there. So he's like literally saying, so what? So what? It's minimizing the jokers in our lives and magnifying the people in our lives that have our backs. And I'm not saying return evil for evil. And yes, we're supposed to try to have, you know, Paul talks about, you know, fight for unity with everything. Do everything that you can do to fight for peace. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be jokers out there who aren't going to agree with you, who aren't going to like what you do. And God's going to still use those people too. There's always going to be jokers. And so the question for you and for me is, who are you magnifying in your life that you know you shouldn't be? Are there any, you know, I'm not trying to like be mean to these people, but come on, like, you get what I'm doing. Like, who are the jokers in your life that you need to stop magnifying and start to magnify and shift it onto those people in your life that have your back, that are trying to encourage you and lift you up? Who are you magnifying in your life that you know 
you shouldn't be. The text continues. It says, yes, and I will rejoice. There's again another word for joy for Paul. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's thanking God for the past. He's thanking God in spite of the jokers in his life. And then he starts to think about the future. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Reminding us of the importance that even though we don't know our future, He didn't know his specific future here on earth. He didn't know if he was going to get a bad verdict or not when he was on trial. But reminding us that joy is a choice. It's an act of the will. That happiness is externally triggered by the things of the world, but joy is internally triggered only by Christ. I mentioned um, the author and pastor Skip Heidzik earlier, and I love how he kind of uh, demonstrated this idea when it comes to for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Go to here. For, if, if we were to use this phrasing from Paul, when you think, you know, for to me to live is wealth, money, well, then when you die is loss because you can't take anything with you. Or if you say, for to me to live is fame and to die is loss because you know, all the fame and popularity here on earth is all going to vanish. Or for to me to live is being you know, attractional or, you know, my physical appearance and to die is loss. We all know how fast we decay after we die. The only way this statement works to switch this loss to gain is for us to say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Remembering that perspective, holding on to that perspective. And then it goes back. I want to go back to the verse here where it says, you know, he, he's, He's saying, you know, my, one of my worries is that I'm going to make it to the end to not be ashamed, to keep full courage, to stay bold as always, that I wouldn't be ashamed of Christ. That Christ, and here's what he says, that Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or death. That Christ would be honored. And what's interesting is that word in the original Greek language, this word honored, is the same word that we have to be magnified. That Christ would be magnified in my life, that Christ would be made greater, that Christ would be bigger. But how can you make God greater when God is already great? What does it mean for God to become greater when God is already great? When you think about a magnifying glass, you know, when you, when you think about what does it do? A magnifying glass brings things closer to you and makes things more clear to you when your eyesight is starting to fail. And so we can't make God bigger. I mean, this is not technically getting any bigger. It's just getting bigger because of our, our magnifying glass. And so when we think of our lives, the question is, is when we walk into a room, are we bringing God more clear and more closer to those around us? Or are we minimizing it? Here's a question. Is Christ, when you think about your life today, is Christ minimized or magnified in my life. Like seriously, like when you walk into the room, I mean, is Christ getting more magnified because of who you are and what you represent and what you stand for? Or do people even know that you're a Jesus follower? 
do, do people know? I mean, like, is there a difference when you walk in the room? Are you magnifying him or are you minimizing him? I mean, because the world today, God seems so far, seems so long ago, seems kind of confusing. But God is calling out to us to use our lives to bring him more clear, to bring him more closer so that people can experience the color of joy in their life so that people can truly, truly experience it. The world is screaming for answers. They're screaming for truth. And you might say, well, I'm just not bold enough. Ask God to make you more bold. Well, I just don't know what to say. Figure out what to say. Study to know what you should say because people need the truth. Let your life magnify Christ. Don't let it minimize, let it magnify. Last thing, Paul talked about earlier, he said that I know, he says, I know that things will turn out for my deliverance. The word deliverance is the same word for salvation. Without a shadow of a doubt, Paul, you can sense his security that he knows no matter if I get beheaded or not, I know I'm good. I know that things are going to turn out for me because I've been delivered by Jesus. And I just want you to know, wherever you're listening and watching, is that myself, Travis, I have that same confidence that Paul does. I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that things are gonna turn out for me, no matter my earthly circumstances. I know without a shadow of a doubt it's gonna turn out for me because I have been delivered by Jesus. He has saved me. And my question for you is, do you know for sure? Like, come on, like, do you know without a shadow of a doubt that things are gonna turn out for you in the end? Have you been delivered? If there's any bit of a question mark, I don't know why you wanna keep living with a question mark. Like, put a period on it. Did you know for sure? I mean, just like, 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 no, I know. And the way that you can know is because God has made it so clear that all who call upon the name of Jesus and believe in their heart that he is Lord, that you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from our sin. Like, you've sinned, I've sinned, we've all missed the mark. And because of that, that is eternally separated of us. It separated us from God. All of us have an eternity that we're gonna be delivered to. And the scripture is very clear about it. It's either heaven or it's hell. There's no getting out of it. But God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die and rise again to pay the penalty so you didn't have to pay it. It's unbelievable. And even if you don't understand it all, it says that through your belief that Jesus is Lord, that you'll be saved and that things will turn out good for you. Things will turn out in such a magnified, amazing way because he will deliver you from your sin to paradise forever. If there's any question and you wanna make it secure, you wanna give your life to Jesus, then I wanna invite you to pray this prayer of belief right now, wherever you're watching. Just say this, Father, deliver me. Deliver me, just say that, deliver me. Deliver me from my sin. And then just thank him for, just say, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. I confess that you 
our Lord. I believe in you, Jesus. You are my Lord. And so right now, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. As we continue to pray, if you truly meant that, the scripture is so clear. You will no longer perish, but things will turn out good for you because you have been delivered, delivered forever. Amen. Amen. If you made that question mark a period today and, and you just like are now secure because of your faith in Jesus, man, we don't want you to walk alone. And so Mile City's vision is to help people, flawed, messed up people, just strive to move towards God. And so if that's you, uh, we want to celebrate with you. We want to answer any questions that you might have and point you in the right direction. I want to encourage you to get into a community wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening. If you're not in our local area, uh, the local church is so important to get into the community of the local church.